Welcome to episode 20 of the Feastal Fit Health and Fitness podcast. Today I speak to Summer Inanen, who was always on my list to be speaking to. She's one of the people who's really helped me with on my journey without even realizing. Summer is a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth and confidence. She helps women all over the world to ditch their diet demons and amp up their confidence through her private and group coaching at summerinanen.com. She's a best-selling author of The Body Image Remix, which is a book that I have and um, actually helped me in my first body confidence holiday, one that I didn't diet for. She helps women to embrace their bodies, unleash the fierce, confident women within and hosts, and she also hosts the Fearless Rebel Radio, which is a podcast dedicated to empowering women to live life on their own terms. She also has a 10-day body confidence makeover on her website with summerinland.com forward slash freebies. I'll leave a link to that and also her podcast, her Facebook and her private Facebook community group, which I'm also in and find really, really helpful as I mentioned later on in the talk. So I did have so many questions for Summer, but we ran out of time, um, but the interview was really good. I enjoyed speaking to her and what I really enjoyed was her authenticity. She just seems so real with everything she's saying. She she speaks from a place of confidence. You can tell she's been in this journey for a very long time and she's got a lot of experience with her own journey and helping a lot of other women. So I think you'll benefit from the answers to these questions. So enjoy and I love to hear your feedback and reviews. Check out iTunes, Feast or Fit Health and Fitness podcast. Click on the ratings and reviews and let me know what you think. <laughs> Money. Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel. Straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. So for today's podcast, I decided to do it a little bit different and not ask my guest to just dive straight in and, and tell us about her history because she's done so many podcasts before. And I really believe that you're going to enjoy this podcast and you're going to be interested to hear a little bit more about Summer. So if you search her in the iTunes uh, search option, you can hear her history and how she got into what she's doing and all of that stuff in lots of other interviews. So I just dive straight in and ask her a few questions about her past. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so starting with, what did you want to be when you grew up? Besides a rock star, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a vet. I love animals. And that was uh, something that I, I really wanted to be. And then when I got into high school, I, I didn't love the sciences that I had to take to be able to pursue that. And that changed the course of of my life and I, I do re I regret it I wish I could go back and I wish I had done the sciences and and also gone on to be a vet not that I don't love where I've ended up it's definitely been amazing and I, or it is amazing I should say mm -hmm. but um I I I still there's part of me that I would love to do both I would love to have another chance and to be a vet as well <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I wanted to be a vet when I was young as well. I love animals and I and I I mean I have animals and I um I volunteered at the Humane Society for a while to to really, you know, I'll get that part of me out of my yeah. system or at least yeah. <laughs> live that purpose and help other animals is a better way of saying it, but um I don't know, who knows. I never say no 
Never because I'm known to say I'll never do something and then 10 years later end up doing it. So yeah. who knows? Maybe in 10 years I'll go back to school and be a vet. <laughs> you just don't know what's around the corner. Right. So um, when did you first become aware of your body and more importantly have any negative feelings about it? I don't remember becoming aware of my body. I think I I remember being a pretty playful child and I remember you know like wrestling with my my brother and my dad I had an older brother um those are you know and I remember swimming like I was always much better in the water than I am on the land um and just being free I guess and and so it wasn't necessarily an awareness of my body but I do remember from a very young age um becoming aware that there was something wrong with with my body and that being fat was something to fear. And I was teased a lot about my body, uh, specifically from my older brother, who was five years older than me. So um, I, I remember being teased at a very young age about my body. And I remember um, just thinking, not feeling comfortable in it from a very mm -hmm. young age. I was always a very shy and self-conscious kid. Um, I was always, you know, I, w I was never like really the popular one when I was a kid. Um, I was always just, you know, just trying to make whatever friends I could. And I would have really close friends. And um, I was always envious of like the more popular kids. And I think I think just being a generally self-conscious, shy, more introverted kid, uh, I also directed some of that back onto my body as well and then that was compounded with the fact that my mom was a chronic dieter and so you know dieting and awareness of body size was something that was imprinted in me and modeled to me from a very young age and then a layer on top of that you know my brother and some kids at school teasing me about my body and uh, I don't really remember a time that I felt good in it I think I felt free in it when I was when I was really young and I think I felt fairly free in it um for most of my youth, but I, I still remember feeling self-conscious about it. And especially I think around the ages of 10, 11, 12, that's when it really started to become something that I fixated on and hated. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting because I think so many of us adults who develop eating disorders come from families where our parents either dieted or talk negatively about their bodies. And I still remember certain words that my family used to speak about. My mum would say things like, it's always better to be a little bit too thin than a little bit too fat. And that's mm. just that tiny phrase would then just stay with me for years and years. And it's just kind of ingrained in us. It becomes it, it becomes imprinted, I think. And mm. it's it's one of those things that can really have so much power. I mean, even though it's one phrase or you know, one experience that we had, I know for me, I, I remember particular moments where um, someone said something about my body or my mom said something about my body. And I know from her perspective, it was just, she was just trying to protect me in the way that she thought was best. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that from her perspective, it was out of love. It wasn't out of hate for me or dislike for me at all. It was just that she was so invested in diet culture and um, and had so much internalized fat phobia that I she didn't think she was doing anything wrong and yeah. but it was a lot of those moments really stuck with me as well and I think you know negative negative comments stick with us like velcro and we can never really forget them but 
we learn to, you know, see the, we, we learn to have awareness of them and where they start to show up in our lives today so that we can better manage them. And so when did you take your first diet? I had my first diet when I was probably around 14 was when I actually adjusted the food that I was eating. But interestingly enough, I think the way that I ate as a child was almost a diety without me knowing it. It wasn't like a conscious choice. It was that we weren't allowed a lot of different foods in our house. Different foods were classified as good or bad. We w- we had certain times when we were allowed the quote unquote bad foods. Mm-hmm. And so I, as a child, I remember it was almost like this binge and restrict cycle but that was just what was normal in my household and it wasn't a conscious choice it was just that okay during the week we don't eat any of these things okay it's saturday you can have as much of this as you want and that really formed my behavior around food the first time that i consciously went on a diet was when i was in grade nine and we had to do a project for biology class where we had to track our macronutrients so the number of fat and protein and carbohydrate Mm -hmm. grams and calories in our food And I remember seeing what I was eating. And that was the first time that I started to understand, okay, calories, macronutrients. And I remember my mom saying to me, this was in the 80s, so so low fat was really popular. I guess it was the early 90s at this point, but low fat was still really popular. My mom said to me, if you want to lose weight, you have to eat between 15 to 30 grams of of fat a day, Um, which is really low. Nobody should do that. So that's a big trigger warning. Like, do not do that. (laughs) That is like not enough to sustain a grown ass woman. Um, but that's when I started to consciously restrict fat. So I started to cut it out. Like I remember I stopped eating peanut butter, um, uh, uh, sandwiches at lunch in favor of something else. I started to, you know, change to low fat salad dressing. Like all, I just started to become very fixated on low fat Mm -hmm. and that progressed and continued on and then, and, and got worse and worse. And for me, it didn't really become much worse until I was in like my, my mid, my mid twenties or my early twenties, my mid twenties. That's when things kind of escalated and got worse from a food perspective for me. So what was the dieting like for you? As in like, were you successful on your diet? How did you feel? Um, I, I feel like I was not successful at all. So my body, like, you know, it's so funny. Like I look back and like my body is pretty much always look the same, <laughs> like give or take, you know, 10, 20 pounds, but it's always sort of, it's always been the same shape. And it just shows me that, you know what, your body's going to do what it's going to do. You're born with a certain shape. That's generally where we stay. So I wasn't that quote unquote successful. I think I noticed, you know, my body would change a little bit and I would then receive that validation and that would give me that, you know, that, that high, that Mm -hmm. artificial high that I craved because for me, it was really just about receiving validation and being accepted. And that would propel me to want to want more and nothing was ever enough. And so I think, you know, the, the one time that I got down to like my lowest weight range was when I was really, really over exercising. I was really underfeeding myself and that lasted such a short period of time. And then it would kind of bounce back up and then I'd go back down and bounce back up. Um, and 
so I didn't think I was successful because I could never sustain it and nothing ever felt like it was enough. Um, you know, I was always basically fighting against my body until it got to a point where literally nothing would work. And I could, I did a cleanse where I pretty much, I, I just was on like a liquid diet for seven days and I gained weight. So my body had just stopped responding to any kind of weight manipulation. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really was like, okay, I've had enough of this. Like yeah. this is, I am done. I am so done with this. Cause like clearly there's either something wrong with me, which is what I thought at first. Um, and then later learned like, no, actually you're just trying to fuck around with biology and we can't do that. Like your body is, <laughs> you can't fight against where your body needs to be. You can't, you cannot starve yourself into being thinner. You cannot overexercise into being thinner. Your body is going to do what it's going to do. It likes to keep you in a certain range. It likes homeostasis and it's going to keep fighting back. And so for years and years, I was in this cycle of restrict Monday to Friday, eat like so much food, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, restrict Monday to Friday. And then like Friday night to Sunday, just eat and eat and eat. And I lived like that for years. So I never felt like I was successful because I was always like, why can't I just keep it going past Friday? Um, you know, so I don't, (laughs) I don't know if you'd call it successful. I don't think there's really any sort of quote unquote success with it because, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I was still miserable and it never felt like enough. So did you think that you actually, were you diagnosed with an eating disorder or like food addiction or or anything like that? No, I never was. And I went to see a few different doctors when I was uh, concerned about the fact that I hadn't had my period. And the feedback that I received was that I was too heavy to have lost my period due to, uh, due to like the female athlete triad. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that actually just fueled me to, to push harder because I was like, Oh, I'm not thin enough. So, um, you know, I, no, I, I never was, it wasn't until I went to see a naturopathic doctor that she looked at my, um, and she ran a hormone panel and, um, you know, I had, uh, cortisol dysregulation and, uh, my estrogen and progesterone levels were like postmenopausal, were like a postmenopausal woman. It wasn't until I met with her and she saw what I was eating and how much I was exercising that she said, okay, like you are, you're under eating and you are exercising too much. But no, I was never, I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder. And in fact, the way that I was eating and training was at the recommendation of certain health professionals as well. When I was at my worst, when I say worst, I mean when I was eating the least amount of calories and exercising the most, I was actually working with two different personal trainers at the time that were aware of how much I was eating. They were the ones telling me to eat that amount. And, um, and so it was, it was, I thought everything I was doing was normal and healthy and everything that I was doing was validated on the internet as well, because you can look at different health websites. And at the time I was really, uh, into the paleo diet, you can go to different paleo websites and you can see people saying, all right, we'll do this, eat this, cut out this. And so it, it makes you feel like everything you're doing is normal. Even though if I look back in hindsight, for sure, it was disordered eating. Absolutely. Um, you know, I didn't have that response of being able to restrict for more than a certain amount of days. So I know it wasn't like a full blown eating disorder. Cause I think that there's something different there that actually causes, you know, that hunger signal to just kind of go dull from what I understand yeah. from what Christy Harrison sort of explained to me. Um, and I would so say, I think I, it's the, that you, it's your mind, because if your mind's disordered, you then can push past the feelings of hunger, which is your natural biological feelings. And obviously a normal person, if you're not completely disordered, 
you you have to respond to it and obviously that starving that you have to get food yes yeah so and I and so I did so I thought I was like a, I, I just thought I was a really bad dieter <laughs> to be mm -hmm. honest <laughs> that's what I thought my problem was and um and and yeah I mean I just I thought everything I was doing was quote-unquote healthy I'm not gonna lie and it's not until I look back now and I realize, oh, my God, I, I do not even I do not know how I survived on that little amount of food. Mm -hmm. I don't. I, I eat so much more than that now on a daily basis. And um, and I feel so much better. And I and I don't think about food at all. It's just this great thing in my life. So was it a long time that you suffered without periods? And did you get any consequences to that? For example, like bone density? Um, no, I think, uh, it was, a, it was a while for sure. And it's still something that is, there's a lot of issues that happened with my hormonal cycle that, um, that there's a whole kind of other <laughs> storyline associated with that. That's not entirely related to just the, the food and the exercise, but the food and the exercise were the gasoline on that fire, okay. which, which caused me to lose it. And because that had been something that I had been doing for so long. And I had been on the birth control pill for for you know more than half of my life. Um, my I had just never had regular regular hormones. So I um, hormones are such a de delicate a delicate thing, and I think it can take a while for those to come back into balance and to sort themselves out. And everybody's response to that is going to be really different. I apologize. What was the question that you asked me? Because I feel like I didn't answer it. <laughs> Oh, if you had any ill effects, for example, um, bone density, any kind of things like that due to not having your periods and be because basically of the food and the exercise. Oh, bone density. Right. No, I haven't. And I think that's part and parcel to the fact that um, I... I need to be careful about the way this, that I say this, but because of the foods that I was eating and because of some of the other things that I was doing to try and heal myself, that protected me against some of the other consequences like losing bone density. Okay. And I, I heard you mention before in your uh, a podcast interview where you talk about CrossFit and how that day that the doctor said to you that you couldn't do CrossFit anymore was the turning point for you. Do you want to just mm -hmm. explain a little bit about that and, and when you noticed that you were actually obsessed with exercise? So I, I had gone to see the naturopathic doctor because I was concerned about my hormones and she had told me that they were the same as the postmenopausal woman. And because of that, I had to reduce all the different stressors in my life. And one of the big stressors that I had was, was the exercise that I was doing and CrossFit is high intensity exercise. Um, and that was something that was essentially putting gasoline on the fire. I mean, I, I was, I had a lot of other chronic stress in my life for other things that I was doing. But the high intensity exercise was only creating um, additional unnecessary stress. And, um, it, you know, it's not just CrossFit. It's any kind of high intensity exercise, whether that's running, whether that's Bikram yoga, any kind of high intensity exercise on your body is a stressor. And the frequency with which I was doing it um, was problematic. And so I had to pull back on all of it just to heal. And so she told me that I needed to stop doing CrossFit for a while and I was devastated, not because um, of the hormone problems that I had, but because she had told me that I couldn't do CrossFit and I was addicted to exercise. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew I had a problem because I was more upset about that than the actual health consequences and what that meant. So in terms of exercise addiction, do you think that it's a psychological thing, like, sorry, a phys physiological thing or psychological? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I so I haven't done a lot of research on it. For me, I think so much of it is psychological, but I think it's physiological as well because we get hooked on the the response that we get from it, like whether it's the the endorphins or the energy, the cortisol surge. So absolutely, there's a physiological component to it too, but the psychological component is what creates the the need for it and the addiction. And I think the biggest the psychological component to that is fear of weight gain and this desire to control our weight yeah. um, and that stemming from poor body image. So when I work with women, I, I deal with the, the psychological side of it and the mental side of it um, in order to then heal the, the physiological side of it as well. So did this affect your movement choices going forward? Yes, it did. I, I mean, I pulled back on high intensity stuff for a long time. I just did, I would, I would just go and do accessory stuff at the gym a lot less than I had been going before. Um, you know, I stopped doing anything like cardio or running. I started to do yoga. Um, and, and I, and I did that for several months and then slowly started to incorporate more medium intensity things back into my life on a periodic basis. And as I started to feel better, as I was fueling myself better, um, over the course of a few years, I was able to incorporate more high intensity back into my life, but it's in such a different way. Now it's in, I I'm, I prioritize rest. I prioritize listening to my body. I, I slack. I, I don't push it. I don't care about my numbers on the board. I don't keep a workbook with how much I've lifted or what I've done. I don't care about how far I go. I really do do movement because it feels good. It has a mental benefit for me. And um, I honor the way my body feels. And if I want to rest, I rest. And if I want to just walk, I walk. If I want to stop, I stop. Mm -hmm. If I want to choose a really lightweight, I do that. I, I just don't, my ego has completely left the room <laughs> as it relates to my fitness and I prioritize rest. And it took me, it took me years to get to a point where I just, I really don't think that much about it. If I don't go, I don't care. And if I stop, I don't care. And if I go and you know, my, my, I don't go as far or as fast. I don't care. And I think that, that that's huge for me. And my, I'm just, I'm so much healthier. I think that one of the biggest things for me is that um, I used to get sick all the time. Almost once a month, I would be sick. And now I get sick maybe once a year. And that to me is just a huge sign that my health is so much better. My immune system functions better. Um, I, so I eat way more food and exercise a lot less than I used to. And I feel so much better and I'm much more content and happy. And, and I feel so much better in my body too, because I just don't care what it looks like anymore. So in, in a sentence, that sounds amazing. And obviously congratulations for you for doing that. But I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm in the middle of that process. And as a fitness teacher as well, I really struggle with this, which is why I wanted to ask you how that part of the journey was for you. And I know there's so many people who are still in the place that I am as well, where it's really a struggle to to still exercise, but then find the right balance of what's the right thing for me and not let your head get involved where you always want to push a little bit harder. 
and with especially with certain exercise because this is why I asked you whether it's um, an addiction is psychological or physiological because I feel like when I sometimes get the physiological um, endorphins from a certain exercise I then want to push more and more and more and my brain has to then tell me actually maybe this is a bit too much for me and I should pull back a bit which is yes. always a constant battle so it's such a hard place to go through that part of the journey it's really hard and it was a constant battle i'm not going to lie it was a constant battle for for a few years and it's still something that i'm aware of because coping mechanisms don't go away completely i don't think i think i think that they become things that we have to be aware of and i certainly don't it it rarely shows up for me now but i sometimes will feel that urge if i'm dealing with some kind of emotion or um often it's emotional escape for me. So if I'm dealing with, uh, I've had a really hard day because of something or I'm feeling very heavy, very sad, my compulsion is to exercise and I have to be really mindful of it. I have to say, no, 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 no. Like, what are you trying to run away from? Literally. Um, and allow myself to just feel out what's, what's going on. Um, accountability worked really well for me when I was pulling back. I, I worked with, like I was working with a, the naturopathic practitioner. I was accountable to her and um, I, I, I wanted to really follow her recommendations. And I think that, that that helped me a lot, being accountable and making the other people at my gym aware of it because I worked at the gym. So yeah. that added a whole other layer to it. I was the nutritionist at the gym that I was a member of. And so I had to tell, I told all the coaches, like I told the owners, because I wanted them to watch out for me as well. And I wanted them to, I wanted that accountability. And I think sharing our story helps to keep us accountable as well, because when we're just suffering inside and we're trying to keep it to ourselves, it is really hard because it is, it's a, it's a battle. It's a battle between the two sides of your brain. The one that's, that is the exercise addictive side that's saying, don't stop, you know, that voice of fear, mm -hmm. you're going to gain weight. You need to do this in order to eat like all these things. And the side that knows, like, you know what? Nope, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, this is intuitively, you know you need to rest right now. Uh, and so I, I would love to tell you that it was easy, but it wasn't. And it's I think it's, it's one of the harder things. I think it's easier. I often find it's easier for people to change their relationship with food than it is for them to change their relationship with fitness mm -hmm. when exercise has been their go-to coping mechanism and weight control um, activity. Well, I think exercise is more than just the um, like your weight control, because I think for me, where I am, I've I've given that side up now and I'm, I'm comfortable with my body and I understand that my body's going to change and I don't have that control over it. But I've, I have this fear of losing fitness and I sometimes feel hard on myself that if I go for a bit of a run, it's not as fast as it used to be and I'm not going as far as I used to be. And even during the run, I'm having that battle in my head of I should do more. And I say, no, I should do less. And I'm just arguing with myself throughout a run, which should be a nice, pleasant experience. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of that is maybe like, well, what is what does being fit really mean to you? Because I think that sometimes we our identity is associated with it or you know, so in, if it's not thinness, it's fit, it's fit. Like it just kind of, it, they're one and the same. It's it, we have to look at like, well, what does it mean if I'm not fit? Quote unquote, I put fit in quotation marks. Cause like really what the hell does that even mean? Um, and I think that then there's, you know, it's looking at that identity that we have associated with it and, and understanding what we've 
what we have internalized. Does that, does that mean that we're not good enough? Does that mean that we're inadequate? Does that mean that people are going to judge us? Like, what does that mean to you? And being able to label that and then address that component of it is going to be very, very helpful. Um, you know, I think that just we create these associations, whether it's with thinness, whether it's with fit, whether it's with health and it, they're just, they're just representations of other things that we've associated with it. Very true. So, um, thinking about you as a nutritionist inside the gym, which I find really interesting, I, I'm wondering now, how did you do the transition then? Cause you must've had a lot of people coming to you specifically in a gym environment, asking to lose weight with their nutrition, yes. wanting meal plans and everything. How did you change yourself at the same time as giving advice for other people? What was that like? It was really hard because I didn't learn everything overnight. So mm -hmm. I essentially, I was a weight loss coach. That's what I did. That's what people came to me for. I had a business based around that. So it was really hard because I was trying to navigate this while also preaching weight loss. And so for me, it was a gradual progression of like, as I learned new things, I started to change the way I practiced with clients. And, um, I mean, I, d I don't do any nutrition anymore. I got out of that a few years ago because yeah. I really wanted to just focus on, on coaching and, and specifically, you know, body image, self-worth and confidence. But, um, it was really hard and I had a lot of shame about it because I was, I had given people these recommendations that ultimately had hurt me. Um, and I felt, I feel really bad about it. I still do. I still carry shame and guilt around that because I, that was, that, that was really hard for me. And, but as, as I transitioned, I, um, it, it was hard because people didn't want that. They still wanted weight loss and I was trying to get them to move away from those things. And it was, it was like operating between two worlds for a while before I fully made the leap over to the other side and said definitively, I'm not going to help you lose weight. And if you want that, then I'm not the right person for you. Yeah. And that's exactly where I am at the moment <laughs> in my business. It's very hard. Well. So not with the nutrition thing, but being a fitness professional and most people, I think more than 90% of people still say to you that one of their goals is to lose weight. So I still want to help people with their fitness and health, but I, I am very clear to them. And I like the fact that Kyla Prince actually is the one who gave me this quote that it's a side effect weight loss. So I, I'm very clear and don't make them any promises. And I try, I show them all of my social media and they can see that I'm very anti-diet and they can hear about my experience, but I still feel a little bit stuck in the middle. I, I'm, it's still a new conversation for me to have with people because I do want to take on new clients, but at the same time, I don't, I'm not a weight loss fitness person anymore yeah it's hard and I think it's it's true I think it, I mean the reality is if, if we can come to the table with facts which I think is also really important because I didn't discover health at every size until I had been working on myself for uh, several months if not more um, so I, I didn't even realize that <laughs> weight loss wasn't necessarily an option for everybody you know and that long-term yeah. weight loss is really not um only happens in a very small percentage of people so yeah. it wasn't until i think i read that and really started to understand the fallacies around weight control and dieting that i started to bring that in more heavily in the initial phase i just started to bring in more body positivity so for example i was like well we're not going to use a scale and i brought in more intuitive eating 
um, you know, and just, and, and no longer classifying foods as like quote unquote good and bad and that type of thing. So that I operated in that way for a little while before I, before I really kind of switched over to a more health at every size approach. Mm -hmm. So how important do you think it is to have body positive fitness professionals? Because I know a lot of people like yourself as a nutritionist, you then left that field. And with Sarah Vance being a fitness professional, she left as well. And it was something that crossed my mind, but then I decided to stay. And somebody who keeps me going is um, Michelle Burmaster. So it's nice mm -hmm. to have somebody to look at who's actually doing that. But how, how important do you think it is for people? Because obviously once you're doing body positivity, you still want to be healthy and you look after your body, but it must be really scary to go into certain gyms and know that there's going to be so much diet culture. I think that times are changing and more people are looking for um, professionals that are more body positive and health at every size. So I don't think it's the mass. Uh, I don't think it's for the mass population yet. I wish it was. I hope to see that day. But I think that there's a definite need for it. I can't tell you the number of clients that I have that wish that they had a gym or a trainer that was body positive, that knew about health at every size. There is a huge opportunity and market for it. So I, I we need people that are nutritionists, dietitians, that are um, fitness professionals that that work with people of all shapes and sizes. And I think that that women want that. Women want trainers who who look more like them or a little bit different you know like it's just I think we're starting to get sick of this mold of this of of like the ideal quote-unquote ideal woman looking a certain way and so I stay with it if you like helping people with their fitness then please stay with it there is an there is an absolute need for it the number of women that I've had come to me and ask for that um is huge and so I think that there, we, we need more people. So it doesn't mean you leave that field. I think my decision was just based around the fact that I really just didn't care about food anymore. And I, my, my passion lies in the body image and I'm a way better coach than I am advice nutritionist giver. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, and that's why I went in the direction that I went. So talking of body image, what do you think is the most important thing in somebody's journey? Would it be the exercise, the food, or the body image? Well, I think the body image is the catalyst for everything. If you have, if if you believe that your body is good just the way it is, then generally you're not having any issues with food or exercise. So to me, that if we don't, if you don't address the body image component to it, then the food and the and the exercise stuff is still going to be tricky. So let's talk about your podcast. Um, sure. How, how long ago did you start your podcast and why did you decide to do it? I started it over two and a half years ago. I started it because I had done a couple of interviews on other women's podcasts and uh, received really good feedback and I realized that perhaps that was a good way for me to communicate my message aside from just blogging. And so I started it on a whim. I literally decided on, I think, a Tuesday that I was going to do it and then just started it on the Thursday. <laughs> I did very little research, uh, had no you know, vision for it. I just thought, all right, I'm just going to start this thing 
and see what happens. And it's been operating like that for two and a half years. And I actually just put it on hiatus in the fall because I want to, um, make it over a little bit and change it. I've evolved quite a bit since I started it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I listen to some of the initial episodes, I'm not, you know, there's definitely still some fat phobic language in there. There's definitely less, uh, I had less knowledge about the, you know, the, the social justice issue that is body positivity. Um, and there was still a focus on, you know, like certain foods and things like that. And so I, I just, I wanted to just kind of cut that and re it's it. So it's coming back in the new year, totally new and with a slightly different feel and, um, and really just focusing on more body positivity, feminism, self-worth and health at every size. And so the, you know, the roster of, of guests will evolve a little bit. Um, I'm going to be doing more solo episodes and I just wanted to revamp it like new cover art, you know, it just needed a change because I've changed so much in the last three years. Mm -hmm. So will you be getting rid of old episodes or are you going to keep them? No, I think I'll keep them. I don't see there being a problem with, with them. I think that, there's still valuable content within it. And if people choose to skip over episodes because they don't like the guest, that's totally cool with me. I don't think everyone's going to like every guest on every podcast. Um, so I, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, to be honest, I haven't gone back and like listened to every single episode. So there's probably a couple that I may go and maybe a couple of the solo ones and just sort of redo them um, with, with my new perspectives and thoughts on it. But um I, yeah, no, I think, I don't, I don't know. Is, is somebody I, I at like, the door? <laughs> what's that? Is somebody at the door? No, I can sorry, hear the dog. Go- <laughs> Hang on. My dog does that as well. So I wanted to ask you about the name Fearless Rebel Radio. Why, yeah. why fearless? And why do you think uh, fear is such a big thing in holding people back from living their full potential? I think that fear is something that is we need if we're not doing things with a sense of fear then we're not really stepping outside of our comfort zone um and so fearless i don't think the intention is to be fearless like absolutely (laughs) free of fear it's to do things with fear (laughs) like to see something that you're fearful of and do it anyways that's my definition of fearless and I think that so much of what I do with women and what I what I preach in my own life is to do the things that we're afraid of doing because self-love having a good body image that's a radical act in our society you know in a society that tells you who you who we quote-unquote should be being who we are is fearless um And transitioning away from diet culture is fearless because it's not the norm. It's not what everybody else is doing. Saying that I'm good enough just as I am, setting boundaries, uh, taking risks, facing rejection, facing judgment, all of those things are what were a part of my own journey and what I encourage other clients to do. And all of that comes with a side effect of fear. And so I love the word fearless because it's just a reminder that you know what? Feel the fear and do it anyways. Yeah, I've read that book. <laughs> oh, is that a book? There's a book, yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> you need to check. It's probably from the 80s, though. It's very old, but it's a very good one. Oh, nice. 
So I wanted to ask you what fears or limiting beliefs did or do you have and how do you overcome them? Um, I think some of my biggest fears are fear of rejection and fear of judgment and fear of just being found out that I'm completely inadequate. So um, those show up in many different ways. And uh, it's just about labeling that. Like, you know what I, so what I do is I have enough awareness now to be able to know where, where that's showing up for me. And so I'm able to label it and understand why I'm feeling a particular way or why I'm holding back. Okay. It's because I'm afraid of judgment or I'm afraid of rejection or I'm afraid uh, people are going to think I'm inadequate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I acknowledge that and I offer myself compassion because those parts of me are never really going to go away as much, as long as I'm still stepping outside of my comfort zone, which when you're an online entrepreneur, you're constantly stepping outside of your comfort zone. Um, and so it's just about offering myself compassion and doing the actions anyways and getting more comfortable with people saying no or people rejecting me or criticism. So I've had to really become comfortable with criticism. I've had to develop um, ways of managing that and being able to um, know that it doesn't give me information about me. It only gives me information about them. And I can choose to either take that feedback and use it or or not. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's made me a stronger and more resilient resilient person. And on that note about critics and trolls, do you have people like this saying things about you being in the body positive community? Because I hear people, and I don't know if it's because I came from the fitness background and had a load of fitness followers, that when I started talking about anti-diets, they said, oh, you're, you're saying that all bodybuilding is wrong and that you're promoting obesity and have you just let yourself go? You're just going to eat everything now. Is this the kind of thing that you've come across? Yeah, uh, a little bit sometimes. I don't get it a lot. And I think, you know, I, uh, I, I, I'm a medium-sized person. So I know that there's a lot more trolling that happens against women in larger bodies. And that is something that I am, you know, really fighting to change in, in our culture. I, I do get that kind of criticism sometimes. That to me doesn't bother me at all. I laugh at that. I think that that's just hilarious because it's so ridiculous and so wrong and I just do not have time to even think about that the criticism that I fear the most is just is somebody saying you have no idea what you're talking about and uh or you're like a second-rate version of somebody else those are those are like my biggest fears so I haven't run into that yet thank goodness but if somebody ridiculous (laughs) what's that it's absolutely ridiculous (laughs) Yeah, if somebody if somebody ridic- if were to ridicule my body or my health or you know the health at every size of body positivity, I just I I really just don't have time for it. You know, for me, I'm just I'm not. Brene Brown's quote is, "You are not a jackass whisperer." Like I am not a jackass whisperer. I am not a diet culture whisperer. If you want to have a conversation with me and learn about it, cool, let's do that. But I would rather focus my energy on people who want to learn, want to change. Um, and inspire those people. Like I just do not have time for for the other side of it that's just trying to pick a fight with me. I don't have the energy for that. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, you know, the bigger that the my platform grows, the bigger my audience grows, the more of those negative comments I'm going to be subject to. And so I just take that as a gift. I'm like, great. If I have more negatives, it means I probably have more positives too. Um, you can't be immune to it. 
you can go on one of the things that I find helpful is just go on any other person's account that you admire uh, or any other author on Amazon that you admire. And they're always going to have negative comments. And so that's just that just reminds me that in order to do what I'm going to do, it comes with a side of negative comments. There's always going to be some trolls out there. And really, I just don't have time for them. That's true. Let's talk a little bit about judgment and food. And I've noticed some body positive people posting a lot about healthy eating and talking about healthy eating and exercise. And I feel like I wonder if that's a way to prove to people, yes, I am actually a healthy person and this is how my body shows up. Do you think Mm. that would be the case? I don't, I don't, I can't mind read what their intentions are or what the assumptions are there. I think that there is certainly a bit of a, you know, good fatty paradigm, which is a Reagan Chastain um, statement. At least I think that that's who kind of developed that way of that frame of mind of thinking, which, which means like, well, as long as I, but I'm healthy and I work out, so I'm, it's okay for me to be fat because at least I'm doing these things. And I just think that that's all bullshit because you are entitled to do whatever you want with your body. Being healthy, being fit is not an obligation. You don't have to do those things. If you want to, great, go ahead. If you don't, great, go ahead. Body positivity is really about all bodies are good bodies. You're worthy regardless of your food choices and your exercise choices. So if that is somebody's intention on social media, you know, it's it's too bad that that's that they need that validation to be okay with their body size. I wish that people didn't need that kind of validation. I wish we could just be okay with whatever people are doing. You know, we don't go around like trolling people for, I don't know, skydiving and other things that can result in, in death. You know, like it's just, it's none of our business what people do with their bodies or with their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, If we truly cared about people's health, I think that we would be a part of their life, have a conversation with them um, go with them to their doctor's appointment, call them on a regular basis. But if you're sitting on the other side of a computer, uh, halfway across the world and you've never met this person, like, don't tell me that you actually care about somebody's health. Cause you don't, what you're doing is you're just being critical of their choices and critical of their body and you're fat phobic. Yeah. Bottom, bottom, <laughs> bottom <laughs> line there. I don't know if that actually answered your question, but <laughs> that's the way I feel about it. But I'm, I mean, for myself as a fitness professional, I felt judged by the food that I've eaten in front of people and people would say to me, oh, you're not going to eat that, are you? Or, you know, assume that I'm always eating healthy. So I, I don't know if it was that and my profession that gave me a big stigma over food. And in my body positive journey, that's kind of been the last thing to go. So I've managed to go out to certain places and eat certain foods and realize there is no fear about it. But it still seems to be... Um, one last thing for me to go is yeah. there any, is there any like last things for you to go that or you still have cropping like uh, creeping up now no uh, with body and food no like not I really don't give a shit like about any of those things like I own everything about my body about food I could care less about what anybody thinks so I have been doing this for years though so that is something that I want to come across to people <laughs> that, that this like that. <laughs> has taken me years you know in the first couple of years absolutely and I felt the same way as you and especially being a nutritionist at the time I, I felt shame about what I ate. I always felt shame over the quantity of food that I ate. Always. That was a huge one for me because I tend to eat more than a lot of other women. And, um, and that 
to me, like I would adjust what I was eating relative to what other people were eating because I was afraid that they were judging me. And now I just, I just fucking own it. Like I eat whatever I want. And if I'm eating twice as much as you, like whatever, that's cool. <laughs> if I eat as much as my husband, who's, you know, a hundred pounds more than, or more than me, that's cool. I just own it. Like it's food. I don't care. It doesn't define who I am. And if somebody is judging me, then it means they have their own issues with it. But I feel for you because I don't want to make it sound like it's that easy. I think it's just keep chipping away at it and just own who you are, own your food choices. And you know what, at the end of the day, you are going to attract people who like you and respect you unconditionally. And the other people are just not going to be worth your time. Why do you think there's so much judgment and shame and guilt over food, like in front of people? Or do you think that's something that you just have when you still have a few issues about it yourself? I think it's because we we think that that means they they because food is this thing that we've associated with with being a good person or not and being someone who quote unquote takes care of themselves and and being someone who is like quote unquote not lazy and um is superior like there's some kind of social power associated with our food choices and we've internalized that and as a result we have then become afraid of judgment of what other people will think of us. Like when I was eating a lot, I, uh, and sorry, I'm using air quotes around a lot because it's just what I eat. <laughs> like when I was eating more than say, for example, my friend, yeah. what, you know, I was thinking, Oh, they're judging me. But really what I was really, if I get to the layer underneath it, what I was thinking is they think I'm inadequate or they think I'm lazy or they think I'm not good enough. You know, like that was the, that was the real assumption that was associated with it. It wasn't just that like they're looking at me at my food, they're thinking I'm gross or they're thinking I'm like just not a worthy human being. Yeah. And so I think it's just about identifying like, okay, what are we really, what have we really associated with our food choices? Um, that's creating that fear of judgment and also just like different things. I mean, when I was a kid, people made fun of me for the amount of food that I ate. You know, like I remember working and I was in the lunchroom and this guy who I barely knew looked over at me and was like, you're going to eat all that. And that moment created so much shame about what the, the amount of food that I ate. And from that point on, I mean, I would eat in the bathroom to hide my food because I was so ashamed of the amount of food I ate. Mm -hmm. That person inside of me, those experiences are in like imprinted into my memory and I cannot get rid of them. So that fear is a result of those memories. And so if I think about it, if I were to go back in time, what would I want to say to that version of myself? You know, what kind of compassion does she need? And for me, it's like, it's okay. You know, like you can eat whatever you want. You're a good person. You're a wonderful person, like regardless of what anybody thinks. And so I think it's, it's about, I, understanding that a lot of this stuff has come from experiences that we've had and that it's just a sign that there's a particular part of us that needs some attention, needs some nurturing and needs some compassion. Mm -hmm. It's interesting talking about when you were a child and how you used to eat, because when I was a child, I used to eat very little and I, I used to eat like half of something and just know when I was full. And I remember thinking when I really got deep into diet culture and obviously I'd overridden my body signals for hunger and everything that I just didn't know how I would ever get back to being intuitive eating. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, like, I don't remember ever really being an intuitive eater because I was in this interesting 
you know, world where but the way I was brought up, like there were a lot of foods that weren't allowed in the house, but then also my mother's side of the family was Italian. So eating was love. So it was celebrated. Like the more that you ate, it was celebrated. Like it was this very <laughs> weird situation where I had like these two kind of sides that I grew up with. So I never really experienced being an intuitive eater. Um, and that's something that I had to just become over over years of just getting rid of dieting and, and really, um, not listening to any of the diet thoughts and following what felt good for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's possible for everyone. So it's great that you actually remember and had those experiences of being an intuitive eater because it's more accessible for you to know that that's, that's actually a possibility mm. <laughs> and it will happen if it hasn't already. <laughs> Um, and what's been the, the the biggest resistance that you see from your clients? What was the hardest thing for them to get over in the journey? Fear of weight gain, I think, is the hardest thing. Um, the the fear that they will just, you know, lose all sense of self because of their body changing. And that takes a while because those are some hardwired beliefs that we have about about weight and about what that means as uh, about who we are as a person and so that takes a long time to really shift and and let go of I think that oftentimes we get to a point where we're comfortable with our body but we're still afraid of gaining weight and um, and so that's just one phase of the journey, like getting comfortable in your body is just one phase really overcoming fear of weight gain and knowing that unconditionally you're good enough takes a lot longer. So I think it's also hard when your body changes and you, you learn to accept your new body, but then it, as it changes again, you have to go through the same process. Yeah, it's a bit of a like, you know, mourning and shedding and peeling off a new layer of the onion that that you've been dealing with. And so, um, yeah, I mean, my body, my body changed, you know, a few sizes, like it's it changed over the course of me um, not being good at dieting and then, <laughs> or fighting against biology and then, uh, and then fully giving it up. And, um, you know, I remember just every time kind of going up a size being, it was just brought up a lot of the old demons again. And it's not until, you know, the last couple of years that I can honestly say, like, I just don't care. And if I, if my size is up, I don't care if it's down, mm -hmm. I don't care. It's just, it is just neutral to me. Um, and, uh, and I, and I, I've just surrendered control. I just know that my body's going to do what it's going to do. And, um, you know, at some point in my life, like who knows what's going to happen to my body, who knows what's going to happen to my appearance. So I work, I've worked really hard. And what I encourage women to do is to work really hard at just detaching appearance from your worth entirely, because it's going to change. We're going to get old. Things are going to get wrinkly. We're not going to be attractive, quote unquote, according to society. And, um, and it's really important to just know that like, you're okay regardless yeah that's amazing <laughs> so yeah. because it is so hard though have you ever seen somebody go back to diet culture from starting the journey uh yeah I think so I think I think it's you know it's you have to be so done with it you have to get to a point where you are so done with it and you have to be committed to changing I think that it's not just something that you work on for a month or do like one program it's something that is a lifelong um, commitment. It's a commitment to yourself for the rest of your life that you are going to work towards knowing that you're valuable just as you are. 
And I don't think that some people are entirely ready for it. I don't think that some people are fully done with it. And I, cause it's hard. It's not easy. It's not the easy route. It's so much easier to follow, follow a diet and get instant gratification. There's no instant gratification with self-love. There's the, it, the, the, those two things don't go together. There's sometimes is there's moments of, wow, that felt so good. Or like, wow, that was something I've never experienced before. But it's it takes a long time, and that, and it's and so it's very different than than diet culture, um, and yeah, I, I have absolutely seen people pull back. Um, it's the 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 grip of the skinny ideal is is very tight, and um, where I've seen people most successful is where they continue to get help with it, whether that's via like coaching, they reach out for support when they feel like they're maybe falling back into old ways of thinking. And, um, and they're just done with it. Like they just cannot do the dieting anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just, it just not, it's just not even an option. Like when you make that just a non option, that's when you know that you're never going back. Yeah. I think it's seeing it like your height, isn't it? I heard somebody talk about that, that you just know that you can never change your height. So you don't try and you just have to accept it. Whereas we think that we can change our bodies. So there's always this cycle of trying to change it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and it's because you, I mean, it would be easier if, if we lived in a world that was body positive, but we don't. So everywhere you go, you're surrounded by more messages that are going against the new beliefs that you're trying to adopt and that are reinforcing the old beliefs that are hardwired into your brain. And so I, it's about being really vigilant about that too. And I think the more that you can, you know, whether it's listen to podcasts or, you know, uh, read body positive things online and just, really make that a new culture that you're buying into that that can be extremely helpful as well but i think um when i first started looking into all of this stuff it seemed there was a big divide there was the diet culture on one side and there was body positive on the other side and it seems like now i don't know if it's just my experience from having started at a certain place within this journey but i i now feel like that there's a mix especially with the new movie embrace coming out and with the body image movement because I, I signed up immediately to become an ambassador and then so did a few other people that were in the fitness industry, which I know are very much diet culture. And I just felt like there was, everything's becoming a little bit diluted. And then you see people like Weight Watchers promoting body positivity. And um, so it is, is becoming more inclusive, but it's the wrong message in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's money, right? People go to what is going to make them the most money. So special K knows their, their sales were probably down. Their, pro their profits are probably not the greatest. So they go to an advertising agency who says, all right, here's how we're going to target women. Like these are the viral ads that are doing really well. Like they look at the dove campaign and they start to in, in incorporate that into their message, even though for on a fundamental level, it's going against everything that body positivity is about. Uh, that's a detriment, I think, to any movement is that it gets watered down and diluted and the true roots of it um, are are not exposed. I also think it's an educational issue, too, because when I was new to body positivity as a nutritionist, I didn't understand the real roots of it. I didn't understand the social aspect of it. And so I think that it's part and parcel an education issue, too. It's not to say, OK, well, you're doing this wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. It's like, hey, Maybe you could read these books or maybe you should start reading some of the work of like Reagan Chastain or Virgie Tovar so that you can become more educated on the actual um, political side of this movement. And and so that you can understand why, you know, we don't promote 
weight loss. It's a weight neutral uh, movement. Um, so, uh, but it's one of those things where when you, when you talk about like corporations or you talk about even like fitness trainers, sometimes it's just, it's about the profits and it's, it's an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate thing that that's where that's going, but hopefully what will happen is people will get exposed to that. And then they'll also just get more invested in the movement and the voices that really are explaining the true meaning of body positivity are also being heard and people slowly start to come over, you know, it's like slowly come over to the dark side. You can't just like jump over, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you got one hand on your rope and like, we're slowly going to pull you over. (laughs) So you just said, uh, Regan Chastain, is that? Regan Chastain. Yes. Yeah. She has the blog dances with fat.org and she's a she's a fat activist and she is fierce and hilarious and um and has been talking about this for years as well as other people like Marilyn Wan like there's a lot of fat activists that have been around for many many years that their voices just are not as as prominent because of things like the embrace documentary or the um you know, special K ads or the Dove ads because they become more viral. Mm-hmm. So um, I did have quite a few more questions, but <laughs> we've, we've covered lots and I, I'm aware of your time. I don't really want to take up your time longer than an hour. So um, I just want to really thank you for being on the show. And just wanted to say thank you for your group because I find that it's it gives me a lot of comfort and it's like a go-to place when there's diet culture in every corner of the world, especially this time of year around Christmas. And it's just nice to have something that counterbalances that and you can get a bit of a a daily body positive top up. Oh, you're so welcome. (laughs) Well, thank you for being a part of it and for, you know, for being a part of the movement as well and for what you're doing, because I know it's, it's not easy to be a fitness professional and, and incorporate body positivity into your work. But I think that, I hope that you keep going and I know that there's so many opportunities for you, but I really appreciate you having me here today. Thank you. Do you want to just leave us with your, your website and places people can contact you? Sure. You can find me at summerinandin.com or if you don't know how to spell that, you can just go to thebodyimagecoach.com. On my website, I have a free 10-day body confidence makeover. Um, and uh, I've also written a book called Body Image Remix, which you can find on Amazon. And then I have my podcast, Fearless Rebel Radio, which is on iTunes. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on her website, fustalfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at fustalfit.co.uk.